Thank you, Caleb and team. Hey, our kids can slide out to transfer to Redemption Kids in the back here. Hey, and if you're new with us and and uh, you're not sure where uh, to send your child, you can just follow our workers. They're going to take the kids downstairs and they'll get your your children checked in um, downstairs in, in the club, boys and girls club that's below us. For the rest of us, hey, let's grab our Bibles um, or turn our Bibles on. We're going to be in Acts chapter two today. Um, if you've got one of the Bibles that we've provided when you came in, we'll be on page 910. 910. Well, as you're turning, I've got some news for you. I'm not sure if you've heard or not, but uh, over the past month, I've taken a big step in my life. In fact, I might even call it a big leap. Um, I agreed to become the head coach of the AAA Baltimore Orioles Medford Little League. What do you think? I got that look, Coach, coach John. Here's why that's a big leap. I spent most of my early years playing football, not baseball. So uh, I got a lot of learning that I'm doing, um, and, and I'm doing my best. I got a bunch of, of 9 and 10-year-olds and uh, man, man, we're having a blast. We got any, um, do I have any, any Little League players in here today? Any former Little League players? Okay, I see your hands. There you go. We got any coaches, any Little League coaches or former Little League coaches? Okay, I see, I see you there. We got some over here. You got, man, I, you Little League players, you probably got trophies galore, like just stored up in boxes from back in the glory days. Um, you may be wondering, man, what does this have to do with what we're doing today. Well, here's the connection. I'm a coach. They give me 13 players. My job as a coach is to get these 13 players in the right place on our team so that we actually play like a team and hopefully we can win some games. So I'm meeting many of these kids for the first time. Some of these kids are playing baseball for the first time. And, and I'm, I've got the job as a coach to figure out where to best place them. We can put 10 kids on the field at a time. We've got four outfielders. So I've got 13, and I've got to figure out who's going to sit on the bit, bench each inning. Um, and so, I mean, that's my role. We've got 15 games, 15 regular season games to get this figured out, and then the playoffs. The good news is that it's Little League, so we all make the playoffs. So I don't have to worry about making the playoffs. I'll make the playoffs. I may be in the bottom seed, but we're going to get to the playoffs. But the goal is that by the time the playoffs roll around, I've equipped my team to be the best we can be and win some games. Well, we've played three games so far, and I've successfully led our team to an 0-3 record. So, hey, if you raised your hand, I, come see me and give me, give me your best tips um, after the service. Uh, I'm growing as a coach, and hopefully that's not 0-15. But if it's 0-15, we're still in the playoffs. That's all I got to say. So what do I do? We show up every practice and every game, and I ask the kids to take a knee, and I grab a knee with them. And here's what my conversation with them has been like. Guys, I like winning as much as you do. But there's nobody handing out trophies on day one. There's no trophies being handed out. 
I said, my desire for each of you is that if at every practice and every game, you will take a step and get better at one thing, it'll change the entire future of our team. Every practice, every game, you take a step and do something better. You learn from a mistake that you had. We're going to be better as a team when we turn around and roll into the playoffs. You know what? I'm three games in. We lost our closest game yesterday, 7-6, to six, in, the, in, the, in the bottom of the sixth inning. Stunk. But you know what? That's the closest. It's better than losing 12-1. to one. We took a step. And my kids hit so much better yesterday, I could see that. And I, I, man, as we met after the game, I said, guys, we lost the game. But I can see some of you today are much better than the game we played Friday night. And that's going to be a win for our team. Now just dream with me for a second. What if individually in our church we had the mentality, I'm taking a step. I'm taking a step Sunday, I'm taking a step Monday, I'm taking a step Tuesday. Not worrying about what step they should take, but what step you should take. Collectively as a church, it's going to change our future. And it's probably going to change our city. So this step series that we're in today, and I am a Sox fan by the way, but we are the Baltimore Orioles, so I'm, I'm rocking that. In this step series, here's what we're doing. You see our discipleship strategy map on the screen behind me. Last week, we zoomed in on that Sunday experience. And Tanner gave us five compelling reasons why we should prioritize Sunday worship. Now, zooming back out, you'll see we go from Sunday experience to next. We're not preaching a sermon on next. Um, Next is basically a one-time deal. If you're new at Redemption and you've never been to Next, that's your first, that's the best step you can take. When you come to Next, you're going to be able to connect with some new people at our church, and and we're going to challenge you to take some next steps at Redemption Hill, and you're going to hear two primary next steps that we're going to challenge you to take. It's going to be connect with a group and serve with a team. Here's what I'm doing today. My goal today is to answer the question, why groups? Why are groups central to what we say is our strategy in helping all people become mature and multiplying followers of Jesus? Let's go to Acts 2. Acts 2 is where we're going to get the why. Now let me catch us up to speed here. In Acts 2, we find this is the history of the early church. If I were to just go back in Acts chapter 1, just flying, here, here's what happened. Jesus, you guys know it, he was crucified. He rose three days later. He spent about 40 days with his disciples. And his last conversation in Acts 1 8 went something like this Hey guys, the Spirit's coming. You wait here in Jerusalem. When the Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Hey, but don't go yet. You're going to wait here. I'm sending my Spirit. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. And then on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes. 
The Spirit is the fulfillment of that promise. You can look back in the Old Testament. And in Acts 2, Peter explains, here's what's going on. In the Old Testament, God had promised He was going to pour out His Spirit. That just happened. And he says, this is what it tells us. The coming of the Spirit tells us that Jesus has been exalted as Lord. And Peter explains what had happened. You guys crucified this. God has now exalted Him. And look in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. In Acts 2, 37, I mean, this, this is one of my, this is good. One of my favorite passages here, and I come back to it often. It says this, Now when they heard this, what they heard was Peter explaining the coming of the Spirit and the Gospel. This is what Jesus has done. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Man, hey, that is a great response question. If you'll come and ask me that, my goal is to answer that question related to groups today. But that mentality as a church, hey, what should we do? In an eagerness to respond, they asked Peter that, and he says this in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hey, if, if you're new to this whole Jesus thing, and as you're learning, what it looks like to respond to Him is, is really just laid out pretty simple there. The word repent is a conscious change of direction. It's, it's a change of living a lifestyle of pursuing sin to a lifestyle of following Jesus. So to repent is to confess your sin and turn to God. It's that first step in believing to put trust that your sins can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done. He died on the cross to pay your penalty for sin. So you turn from that to believe in Jesus and then baptism. And by the way, we've got a baptism service coming up soon so that for some of you may be your next step after you repent baptism is the picture of what happens when you repent and believe you go under the water and you come up it's a picture of a tomb you're buried you die to your old self and you're somebody new now and that picture of water is this picture of you being cleansed of your sin because of what jesus has done and so baptism doesn't save anybody, but it's the picture of what happens when you believe. So he says, repent and be baptized. And the, the response that day was amazing. Look down at verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Did you hear that? What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. And they, they did it. Like, they responded to the Word. They repented. They believed. And 3,000 people. This is the birth of the church in Acts 2. Now where we're going to focus on today is verses 42 through 47. Go on to verse 42. After they repented and believed and were baptized, what did they do? Verses 42 through 47 describe this picture of the community in the early church. It says this, And they, who was the they here? 
Those 3,000 plus the initial disciples. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How does this relate to groups? To be fair, the word groups doesn't show up anywhere in those few verses. But what we do see here is this concept of community and togetherness is all over it. And so here's what I want to do today. I want us to look at what this passage teaches us about community. And at the end, we're going to just take a look at what are some next steps at Redemption Hill where, where groups are going to be the primary avenue where you are going to experience this kind of community. So what do we see here in Acts 2? There's three truths I want us to see. The first one is this. We see the priority of community. Look at the description here. And they devoted themselves. What are you devoted to? When you think of that word devotion, what pictures come to mind? If you're devoted to something, is that, is that something that, that you compartmentalize to maybe a couple hours a week? If you're devoted to something, my guess is you think of it often. Would you agree? Hey, that person's devoted to fill in the blank. They probably spend a good bit of their time, a good bit of their money, a good bit of their relationships might even revolve around this devotion. These new believers, they were devoted together to some common goals. This language conveys the idea of ongoing persistence in these activities. I'm going to come back in a second and talk about the actual activities. But the point now is to see this was a priority. They devoted themselves to this. And here's the point. You were not made for isolation. You were made for community. And when you pursue and engage in community, you are reflecting God, the triune God, who from eternity past has been in communion, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. Jesus didn't save you and say, go figure it out on your own. He's given us the church where we do this together. They devoted themselves. What do we see? This new community. It took priority over their relationships. Look down here. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It took priority over their time and their calendar. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. It took priority over their resources. Guys, do you hear the shock value of this? Look at verse um, 45. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There were needs that were rising, and they're saying, how are we going to help these people in need? Well, maybe I should sell something. I don't know about you, but this is an area I need to grow in. I don't think that's a thought that usually crosses my mind. The, the radicalness that they were so devoted that the thought was maybe I should sell something and give up something of my own to care for a brother or sister in need. That's devotion. What community is not? Do you see here this picture of community as something that was just an add-on to their life? Okay, I'll add on church. I'm now, I've repented, I've believed, I'm baptized. Let's just add on church here. Do you just see, this is just like a checkbox. Yep, I've attended group this week. Now what do we see here? We see a complete reorienting of their life where community becomes at the very central of who they are. Many of us view church and community is just another ball to juggle. I got family, I got a job, I got kids, spouse, friends, the Celtics, the Sox. You get the picture right? Oh, let's just throw in church. All right, just, I'm going to juggle church. Tim Chester and, um, and Steve... Um, Steve Timmis have written a book called Total Church, and they say, let me propose maybe a different picture. They say, think of, of a will, and think of at the very hub of the will, what if you were to remove yourself and put community there? And so instead of thinking as church is something that you juggle, you make community at the very center, and then you everything else is connected to that they're going out on the spokes there and so you reorientate your whole life around this community instead of trying to juggle it as just one thing you add on it becomes at the very heart of who you are so look we're talking about groups today i lead a group that meets uh, on monday night a community group I've, I've been doing a start group that's met on sunday morning but check this out we don't accomplish groups by a two-hour time slot on Monday nights. That's something I can just check off the box. That's something that I can just juggle. And as I talk about this, I'm saying too, I've got to grow here. And I've got a lot of room to grow in, in cultivating this in my life. But our vision is that you don't just view groups as something one night a week. But that it becomes a family. When I email my group, a lot of times I'll say, hey, family. Why? Because when you think of your family, you don't think of your family and put it into one night of a meet meeting, one night of a week meeting. Your family is a web of relationships. It's ongoing. Now you may primarily gather on Monday nights, but that's that's your gospel family. You're primarily meeting on Monday nights or Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings whenever your group meets. But the goal, that's not the goal. The goal is that those are a web of relationships that are being cultivated in communities happening on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and ongoing. This is difficult. Anybody busy in here? 
I get that. So for me, it's thinking about how do I not do addition, but intersection? How can I intersect life and do community? This is my life right now. A lot of my nights, I'm either leading a practice or I'm leading a game, and you know what? Owen's playing too. So we got two that are in Little League. What community looks like for me is we've got people showing up at ball games and saying, hey, if you want to hang and spend time with my family, this is where we're going to be. Come and be a part of that. And, and that's already happened already in some of the first few games. We've got people coming, and they're just hanging out. Lee's doing community on the sideline. That's, that for these next month or two, that's what intersection looks like. I don't know what that looks like for you, but it's saying, how can I intersect my life and bring people into it? When you start thinking that way, that's when community becomes at the center instead of just something you juggle. So we see the priority of community, but we, we also see the practice of community. Let's go on. The second truth we hear, we want to look at as we see the practice of community. In verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves, and here's what we have, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. One, they learn together. You say, what is this practice of community? If, if we're talking about connecting with groups and that's going to be a way that we're going to find community what do we do when we're together one is we're going to learn together they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching what's being echoed here is the great commission if you were to go back to matthew 28 when he gives the great commission he says go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and do what teach them to observe everything that i've commanded you there's going to be teachers, and there's going to be learners. And so as we come together as followers of Jesus, a lot of what we're doing together in community is learning. What does Jesus call us to do? And helping each other to pursue Jesus. And that tagline earlier on our discipleship strategy, help all people become mature and multiplying followers of Jesus. Hopefully in our groups, what we're doing as we learn together is we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's what we mean by maturity. Also, hopefully as we gather together, we're learning more and more, not about just becoming like Jesus, but helping others become like Jesus. And that's multiplication. This is what's happening in group life. If you want to see a picture of, of maybe what this teaching looked like, it's probably modeled in the letters we have in the New Testament. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians. I mean, just go look at those letters. What do we see here? We see usually there's some doctrine... These are things you ought to know and believe and think rightly about God. And then these are some things you should go do in light of your doctrine. So if you experience groups at Redemption Hill, know this. Our primary goal in groups is not to just puff up knowledge. The goal of our groups is to see you, what this verse says here, teaching them to obey. You see, the problem that we have for the most part in the church isn't knowledge, most of us know what we should do. The problem is actually doing it. We're not observing. We're not obeying. And you know what's going to help you do that? Community. And so connect with a group because you can't do this by yourself. 
If you're here and you're sinking, you're like, man, I know what I should be doing. I'm not doing it. Man, get in a group and say, hey, guys, I need some help. I need some help with this, with this, with this. And do it together. They were devoted to learning together. Second, it says here, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. This word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means to share in common. It points, as, as one commentator Bach says, it points to the extremely personal, interactive character of relationships in the early church at all levels. He says this, there's a real sense of connection to, between, and for each other. A connection to, between, and for each other. This is what fellowship is. It's to share life. They were devoted to sharing life with each other. And we, we see what that looks like here. We get a few examples. Verse 44, all who believed were together, had all things in common. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing. At minimum, sharing life is saying, hey, what's mine is making available to you. I'm sharing my resources, my food, my time, my home. Like, we're sharing. Fill in the blank. But when your heart starts praying, hey God, what have you provided for me that I need to steward for the sake of others? He'll lead you. We just start praying, God, it's not mine, it's yours. How do you want me to use it? Who am I supposed to serve with what you've provided for me? And it's not a one-time picture. And as you read this, you say, okay, yeah, yeah, I met their need, I'm done. I'm good, I checked that box. No, it's this picture they were selling, ongoing. It wasn't, hey, they sold one thing, it was finished. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing. The picture here is, man, repetitive. This was describing what it looked like for them to do life together. They were sacrificial with one another. A lot of ways, another way we could talk about this is, man, in, in sharing with others, they cared for one another. You may hear us if you spend time with us long enough. We talk about practicing the one another commands of Scripture. There are 59 one another commands. And here's what I mean by one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Instruct one another. Encourage one another. Carry one another's burdens. Pray for one another. I could go on and on. The one another's. You can't do that by yourself. So where are you going to do that? At Redemption Hill, look, yes, we should be looking to do that on Sunday mornings, but the reality is, is man, it, this, that's not going to happen on Sunday mornings for the most part. It's really hard to do that. You've got to get in somebody's life. How do you know what somebody's need is? How do you know what you're going to pray for somebody? I mean, it's, it's spending time together, and man, you the groups are going to be where that's going to happen for the most part. So I want you to think about this. You need to connect with a group that becomes your gospel family because you need others. There's going to come a point in time in your life this year where you're experiencing brokenness, pain, suffering, you name it. And you're going to need somebody to put their arm around you and say, I love you. I'm praying for you. How can I serve you? You got a new child on the way. 
you're getting married. There's a death that's happened. You need others. And to say you don't, that's just revealing the sin of self-sufficiency. You think you can get it done all by yourself. So connect with a group because you need others. But hey, I don't want to just put out selfish motivations. Right? Because that could be, hey, just get in a group because you need it. Let me tell you this. You need to connect with a group because others need you. I need somebody. I don't have it together. I'm still growing to become like Jesus. I need other men to come along and say, hey, John, I'm going to challenge you. You need to grow in this area of godliness. I need, a, I need other men who are going to wrap their arm around me and say, hey, John, man, you've had a tough week. Let me help you out. I'm praying for you. Let's go spend some time together. I need that. So connect with a group because you need others, but connect with a group because others need you. To, to not connect with a group and a gospel family is basically to keep your gifts and everything to yourself. At Redemption Hill, one of the primary ways that we even care for people, it's going to be through groups. When, when needs arises, you know what, you know, and I oversee groups here, at Redemption Hill, do you know what I'm doing? I'm going to the group leader. Hey, do you know about so-and-so? And, and they're the first kind of point person in doing care and follow-up. Uh, Tanner, myself, and John Reddy as three pastors, we can't be at every... I mean, look at all the people around. We can't be everywhere for everybody. So our group leaders are extension of how we are caring for people. One of the best ways to make sure you don't fall through the cracks at Redemption Hill... Go get connected with a group. I mean, that, that is a step that you can take to, to man, ensure that you're getting cared for at Redemption Hill. What else do they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Scholars are torn on what this breaking of bread refers to. So, you know, some would argue that this is an explicit reference to the Lord's Supper. They were practicing communion together. Others say, you know what, it's a pretty general reference, and we see it actually a couple times. We see it in verse 42. Then if you jump on down, verse 46, and day to day, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, it seems like a more general reference to just sharing meals with each other. So could it have included the Lord's Supper? Possibly. But at a minimum, they're having meals together. What does that teach us? I mean, that's one example of intersection, right? Every single one of you say you're too busy. You're probably not too busy. Most of you are still eating. How can you intersect your meals to foster community with others? And so, that, hey, here, here's a reason you should connect with a group. And some groups are better at these, these than others. But there's usually food around. I'm just saying, like... And some groups got some good, some good food. Um, why do we do food? Why do we do meals? Man, meals, is, man, we just come together and we're eating. And that's just the, one of the basic things of life where you're just being real with one another. And so it's have a meal, eat together, and share your life with somebody. They were eating meals together, and then it says they were praying together. Duh, Right? I mean, this seems like a no-brainer, but connect with a group because a good portion of what we're doing in groups, not just when we meet at the primary time during the week, but throughout the week, is we're praying for one another and together. 
Think of our groups as contexts where you can find friends who will spur you towards Jesus. This is where you're going to find friends who are going to help you become like Jesus. But that's not all we see here. We see the priority of groups, community. We see the, the practice of community. But man, we also see the power of community. I mean, this is what gets me excited. I mean, all that gets me excited. But look at verse 47. It says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. They were impacting their city. The city was taking notice. This favor with all the people isn't talking about just the people that came to faith. This is talking about all the people. The, the, even the outsiders. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, isn't that cool? Day by day. Not like a, man, hey, in one person. Every day people were believing in Jesus. Now let me ask you this. How do people... It says here, God added them. So we know, man, God is ultimately the one who saves. I don't save anyone. But how does God add people? How does somebody save? Well, they hear the message of Jesus, like what happened in Acts 2, and they repent and believe. But there's nothing mentioned of that in verse 47. How are these people being added? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Were they, was the early church sharing the gospel? Let me ask you again. Was the early church sharing the gospel? Yeah, there's no question. Like, read through Acts. Like, just keep reading. Go back to Acts 1.8, and you'll be my witnesses. Like, they were, they were going to have to share. And, and our role as a church is we don't save anybody. We're just telling everybody Jesus has come. And that's where you can find salvation. We're just sharing. Yes, they were sharing. But the author of Acts, Luke, is drawing our attention not to their sharing. What's being highlighted is this compelling community. God was adding these people, but He was using this community. The focus of the text is that there was an infectious community. Their community, the way they were loving and serving and doing life together was a powerful display of the gospel. In John 13, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people are going to know you're marked, you're followers of Jesus by how you love. The way we love is a powerful testimony to those who don't know Jesus. Think about this. Your group, group life has the potential to be a, in a, a powerful apologetic for the gospel. I mean, what if this became a reality at Redemption Hill? Day by day, people are tasting and seeing this group life, and it's just a compelling invitation for them to come and experience Jesus. So here's what we're seeing. Community is not necessarily the end goal. 
And you need to hear this warning because some of us want to just do community and turn it into a closed circle where it's just us and, and nobody's ever allowed in. That's not the early church. They were doing community, but they had favor with the outsiders and people were being added daily into this community. Check this. I mentioned these guys earlier, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. When they're asked, hey, how do I reach? Man, I've got friends who don't know Jesus. Like, how do I reach them? This is what they say. My answer is to find ways of introducing them to the Christian community. The life of the Christian community provokes a response. Let our relationships provoke questions. What steps can you take with community so that more and more your relationships at Redemption Hill provoke questions? Hopefully good questions. What if the city of Medford begins to take notice? Hey, do you, I mean, they're selling their possessions. They're, they're, they're reorientating their entire life, not to just juggle community, but they're making it at the central, and they're really, I mean, they care for one another. I have the opportunity to teach and lead our next many of, of the months that we lead it, and one of the stories in there that we share a story transformation is of Jesse Lee. Jesse Lee's a story of somebody that, man, was invited and, and then got invited to a group. And Jesse, are you here today? I'm not sure, Jesse. You got invited to a group, and then that group just loved on her, invested in her, and Jesse's now a follower of Jesus, connected with a group. Man, that's cool. And my prayer, prayer is that more and more that's happening. So, our groups should not be places where we try to protect ourselves from the world. It ought to be places where we love and care for one another and invite people in to see it and taste it. And this is what the gospel does. So here's how I want to wrap up today. This is the point in the next step challenge that I want you to get. It's this. Don't isolate, but integrate and connect with a group to experience and extend transformational community. Don't isolate, but integrate and connect with a group to experience and extend transformational community. I'm about to take a few minutes and just walk through what are the groups we have at Redemption Hill. You need to keep in mind as I walk through these groups that, that just showing up at a group is not going to solve your community. My goal is not, is not just to get you in a group, though that's a great next step. The goal is community. The goal is gospel family. So here's what we have. We have four types of groups at Redemption Hill. The first one is an explore group. An explore groups are those for those who are exploring Jesus and Christianity. If you're here and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of new to this whole Jesus thing, and what is my next step? Maybe this is for you. We just kicked off a group last Monday, but you can jump in any week. You could jump in this week, led by Pastor Tanner, and they, he's got some other leaders there with him on Monday nights. We've got an explore group. Second kind of group we have are start groups. We just wrapped up this morning a start group. A start group are those who are saying, hey, I've committed to follow Jesus. What does it look like now? 
to follow Him, to start this journey with Him. The third kind of group we have are community groups. The majority of our groups are what we call community groups. These are sermon-based groups. We have right now seven of these groups that meet throughout the week. And then the fourth kind of groups we have are equipped groups. And these are going to be, um, these are more sporadic. And like an example, we've done Financial Peace University on a specific topic, finances. We've done a parenting group. These are going to be just generic equipping on specific topics. You're sitting there today and you're thinking, I just want you to think about, man, why, if you haven't connected with a group, why haven't you connected? Man, some of you may be saying, I don't know anyone. If you don't connect with a group, you're still not going to know anyone. So I would just say, for those of you like me, I don't really know anybody. Like, that's why you need to get connected to a group. And I know it's, it's scary to kind of take that first step, but I know people who connect with a group, when they come on Sundays, you know who they're looking for? They're looking for people in their group. That's who they're connected with on Sunday mornings. They're checking up on each other. You may say, hey, I'm, a, I'm afraid of people seeing how messed up I am. Welcome to the club. Hey, the reality is that none of us are here because we're perfect, but because we're sinners and we found Jesus. And so our groups are not, hey, let's show everybody how righteous we are. Usually it's, man, hey, yeah, I'm taking some steps and following Jesus, but I blew it this way this week. Hey, let's, come on, let's, let's go follow Jesus together. You're going to find a group of people that, man, we're not perfect, we're just pursuing Jesus. You may say, man, what if I don't like it? Go try another group then. You'll hear us say oftentimes, connecting with a group's like trying on a pair of shoes. If you try on a pair that doesn't fit, do you just not wear shoes? No, you go find a different pair. You keep trying on shoes until they fit. I would just say that at Redemption Hill. None of our leaders' feelings are going to be upset. Okay, mine might be a little bit. But I'm just saying, we've told them, people may connect with your groups, but no guilt, no pressure. They may go connect with another group. I, I don't care what group you connect with, but that you connect with a group. That's your family, and you're getting cared for, and you're doing life with others. So grab your, um, grab your response card there. Connected with your worship guide. Everybody should receive one of these. Anybody not have one of these that wants one? I'll get my ushers back here. We'll pass some of these out. Just raise your hand and our ushers will come by and get some of these out. We got down here, Dan. I just want to walk through in the back here real quick. Because our goal is to see you take a next step. So let me just walk through these. I, I would love for everybody to fill these out. Um, write your name and email at the top there. Maybe this is your next step. The first one. Learn more by attending a spring group at least once by May 24th. Hey, most of our spring groups are going to be winding down over the next few weeks. That's not necessarily a bad thing for you. Here's the good news. You're not going to get roped into a long commitment. Okay? They're winding down. So hey, just make it a goal. Hey, go look at our groups, and you can find out. We've got a groups table in the lobby. You've got our website on the front here. Um, all of our group information, you, can just show, you don't have to RSVP. You can just show up at any of these groups. But if you want to text or call a leader, you can. All that information's on there. Maybe that's your first step. Just attend once. Maybe it's this, connect with a summer group. And these will be beginning in June, and, and, and this is like wet cement right, right now. We're, we're still working to finalize our summer groups plan, but um, right, for right now, check your interest. Explore group, start group. We've got a community group that's going to continue through the summer. 
Maybe it's, hey, I'm interested in equip. Maybe a, a men's equip group or a women's specific equip group or equip other. You fill in the blank. You tell me, I want to be equipped on this. Maybe your next step is this. Serve with a group once during Serve Medford Week, June 17th through 24th. All of our groups are going to be putting together Serve Medford projects. Maybe it's, hey, you know what? I'm just going to serve with a group once that week. Maybe it's lead a summer group. Maybe it's lead a fall group. You may ask, why am I putting this on here? Well, here's the reality. Some of you may say, I'm not connected to a group because there's not one that fits my schedule well or is near my location. For instance, I'm praying that we're able to launch a group in Malden soon. We've got a number of people who come from Malden, but we don't have a group there. Like Our goal is to multiply groups because when you multiply groups, you give people options to connect. So maybe your next step is to say, you know what, I've been at Redemption Hill and I'm taking steps toward membership because you've got to be a member to be a group leader. So maybe tonight you need to come to our covenant class so that you can remove that barrier and become a group leader. But I'm looking for, man, we need some group leaders. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I'd be interested in leading a group. Maybe your next step is, I'm not interested in necessarily leading right now, but I'll host. I'll open my home to host a group, a summer group or a fall group. Or maybe it's this, be intentionally equipped to lead a group in the next year. Maybe it's like, you know what, I've got potential and I could see myself leading, but I need some intentional equipping. Maybe that's your next step. Guys, my prayer for groups is what we've read in Acts 2 just becomes reality. That we get group leaders in place that can really lead and cultivate gospel families. And you know what? It's happening. We've got, we've got some great leaders, and I love hearing the stories. A lot of our groups, I can point to and say, yes, they're doing this. And it's pretty cool. So group leaders, keep doing that. Let's keep pursuing this. And let's pray that day by day, God would add to our number, and he would use our groups to just see transformation and our city transformed for Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, I, I personally just pray you would help me as I lead a group to cultivate and foster this kind of transformational community. God, I pray that, that you would raise up group leaders God, I pray you would raise up hosts. I pray you would raise up those that say, you know what? I, I, I need to be equipped to lead a group. Invest in me. And God, I pray for those that have come to Redemption Hill and never connected with a group. God, God I pray you would help them take a next step as we, as we seek to model the early church and just foster this kind of sharing life. And God, that it would, we would have a number of just infectious communities, compelling communities, God, as I, as I coach him, it's Little League. And you help me with that. And you help these kids take, take next steps. God, I pray that as a church, we would collectively and individually take next steps to change the future outcome of our church as a whole. God, have your way. Help us to respond like they did in Acts 2.